Hello, my name is Ann DeSantis. I'm the director for the St. Raymond Anatis Foundation for Freedom, Family, and Faith. I want to tell you what's been going on with us since we've been in existence in 2015. The Mercedarian Friars came together and decided that they wanted to start a foundation to make outreach to families in crisis. And that's exactly what they did when the St. Raymond Anatis Foundation came into existence as a nonprofit 501c3 headquartered in Philadelphia. Since that time, I became the director in the beginning of 2018, and we basically have four facets to what we do. We offer prayer, priestly consultations, podcasts and videos, and also programs and events. Now, if you've never been to our website, just to, in to invite you to go to nonatis.org and check out all the great things that we've been doing. Because since that time, since we've been in existence, we've now helped hundreds of families who are going through really challenging times. And as you all know, we went through a really challenging time in 2020. So I'd just like to invite you to go and check out the great things that we're doing. And there's more to come. If you or your church community would like us to come and do some type of an event where we can talk about what we offer in terms of that pastoral accompaniment and making outreach to families in crisis, please do reach out to us. And I'm just so grateful to be able to serve, be able to serve people like you and your families. So again, learn about us at nonatis.org. Thank you. Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry present Journeys in Faith. Now, here's Andy Santis. Hi, welcome to Journeys in Faith here on this Friday evening. It's wonderful to be here with you during this beautiful Advent season, almost Christmas. And with me this evening, I have an amazing guest for you. I have Carlos Solorzano. He's the author of the book, I Am His Mother and the founder, the co-founder of HCD Talks Ministry, that's Humana Corpus Dignitate, where he works with Angelica Delalana. They're both friends of mine too. Now the style of this show is a little bit different this evening because Carlos is going to present to you not only his life and ministry, but also talk about his book and also what's to come in the future for him in the ministry. So welcome, Carlos. Thank you for joining us. Hi, my name is Carlos Olorzano, and I'm honored to be on Journeys in Faith. And I'm here to tell my story, a little bit about my faith journey, as well as some of my work, both as a Catholic author, as well as a member of a Catholic ministry. So I was born in Carson, California, a little while ago. For some people, I'm a bit older than I may look. Um, I grew up in a, I'm a cradle Catholic. I was the youngest of two children. I have an older sister. Uh, my father was a Catholic high school teacher for many years. He uh, taught language. He was a Spanish teacher as well as a theology teacher. And my mom worked for the city of Carson. She was an administrative assistant. And they had actually met at church 
as young adults. My father is three years older than my mom. And uh, they, you know, married at the church they met, and they were both from devout Catholic families. So the faith was something that was always a big part of my life. And since my everyday life was so you know, normal to me, there were a lot of things I didn't realize. And I guess in some ways took for granted for many years. Um, my parents were married until my father passed away, which, of course, I see more and more today is a blessing. That was actually uh, close to my 40th birthday when that happened. So I was blessed to at least have my father for a long time. But um, they were both very supportive parents, um, very loving parents. Um, I always felt their um, love and protection as well as their guidance. Um, they were both very good at explaining things. You know, if we were disciplined, why there was why we were being punished. If there were certain things that were expected of us, the reasons why. I never felt like their expectations were unreasonable. And that would include the way they taught the faith. I mean, there was certainly a sense of right and wrong. Like there was such a thing as sin. There were certainly things we could do as human beings that would offend God. And we were wrong to do that. I think the, the best thing, though, was my father was really good. He was actually a master catechist as well. And he was really good at teaching the faith, like really breaking it down and making it simple. And I think that was really important because um, I think sometimes we're really good at overcomplicating things. And my father was just not that kind of person. He was a very, very intelligent man. My father actually had a PhD and three master's degrees. So he was a very smart person. But he never wanted to use his education or his background to sort of display how wonderful he was. He, he just, he was a very learned person. And it really hit me because years later, when I came across this quote of Einstein, I believe he had said something like, if you can't explain it to a six-year-old, you yourself don't understand because it really isn't that difficult. Um, so my father was good at really explaining the faith. You know, he'd get into the catechism and some of the official teachings, what scripture would say. But I think it was a great imitation of Christ because of the fact that, you know, Christ was a simple person as he was a carpenter. Obviously, being the God of the universe, he had the omniscience that none of us could ever dream of having. But he knew how to reach people, you know, the parables, just the way he would interact with people. So it really isn't that complicated. It's because it's all rooted in love. Now, my mother, on the other hand, you know, the nurturer, if you will, she was very much, okay, this is right, this is wrong, this is what God expects of you. And if you sin, it wasn't so much, here's where you're going to go to hell, which I know some kids unfortunately get. But it was, if you ask Jesus to forgive you, he will. So to my parents, the um, making sure that my sister and I were aware of the loving God that we served you know because obviously god is also merciful he's not just the the king and the judge he's merciful you know a great quote i always tell my students so i'll get to my teaching background a bit is i came across was if all of your sins were but a drop of water my mercy is as vast as the ocean so you know if we're accountable for what we've done god will forgive us and that was something that was really drummed in my head and i'm glad because of the fact that um I encountered a lot of people of faith later in my life who didn't have that. And it's really disappointing to see that because there was so much more to our faith than just this hellfire preaching. And they never really had an awareness of a loving and forgiving God. And that was actually really, really sad. Um, 
So anyway, I actually went to public school most of my life. I um, attended Dolores Street Elementary School in Carson, California, which is where I'm from. I lived five blocks from there, so it was like the whole walking to school bit. And it was nice because I got to meet a lot of a lot of kids from different backgrounds. It's, Carson is a very multicultural city, and it was interesting because even though it was a public school, you know, I went to school with kids who were Protestant, who were Jehovah's Witness, who were Mormon. Um, of course, with Protestantism, there's different denominations, so there was a lot of different students with different backgrounds, and then there were the occasional, you know, Buddhists and Muslims. And it was amazing how, how many times we would sit out in the playground and talk about religion. And I, I always noticed that we were always kind of in a sharing mode. And that was, in most cases, there were a couple of times, you know, you're Catholic, oh, you're one of those weirdos, and, and that's fine. But um, it was certainly an interesting experience to, to go through that. It wasn't until high school that my parents decided I had to go to Catholic school. I wasn't happy about it because I went to school with kids that I knew since kindergarten. And there were actually a few that I went to preschool with that I had been going to school with all these years. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. So I wasn't really happy about the idea of having to start over. I was just thinking, this is not not what I want to do. I want to finish school with my, with my friends. But, well, it was sort of decided for me. So what made it kind of hard, too, is I went to the school my father worked at, which was, you know, not like the teachers were going to, they would take attendance and, oh, you're Mr. Solorzano's kid. I'm like, yes, please continue. You know, I didn't want to stand out for that reason. I just want to be me. Now, this would obviously mean that this would be the first time in school I'd be taking theology classes. I would say my freshman year of high school was the first time I really sat in a class and thought, this is actually kind of cool. I mean, I'm enjoying learning this. I mean, obviously, a lot of it was stuff that I, I knew from my, my family background, you know, us attending mass every week. And, you know, there were times that we said the rosary as a family. And, you know, we, we you know, my parents tried to give us a Catholic upbringing. But, you know, to actually sit and have assignments and having to reflect on what we learned and write written reflections, it was really, it was good. You know, to be honest, I wasn't always the best student. I mean, I was still a teenager. So, you know, my mind was on other things. You know, one of the great loves of my life was because also because of my parents, was my parents loved music. And so there was great music in my house from Latin jazz to R&B, Motown. You know, you had some of the great singers like Barbara Streisand, Neil Diamond. Uh, my parents loved bands like Chicago, the Doobie Brothers, uh, Blood, Sweat and Tears, Journey. Um, a lot of good music. And so I, I am a musician. I'm, I'm still a musician to this day. I, I actually have a, an associate's degree in music and from El Camino College in Torrance, California. And I actually play a number of instruments. I, I, I write songs. I put out records of my own. I put out songs and I've been in bands where I made a creative contribution to, to the group. I mean, I'm, I'm mostly a drummer, but I mean, I'm capable of writing music. So I was able to do that in, in some cases. So yeah, I have a little bit of a mu musical legacy out there. Um, and that's fine. It's it's something I'm proud of. But, you know, but it was another example of my parents support. But that was my big dream at the time. I wanted to be a professional drummer in a, in a big band. You know, you're a kid, you have big dreams. But um, the faith part was always there. So I graduated high school and um, I went on again to El Camino College in Torrance to I pursued music because I didn't know what else to study. 
And it was great because at the time I had been taking drum lessons privately since I was in the third grade. And um, I did, I did until I was about 21. So you're talking to like, kind of like a K through 12 year, year span. I had some great teachers. And, but when I went to community college, I started studying theory and started studying like piano and guitar and learning how to notate all that and really becoming a musician not just a drummer that you know reads music but a musician and it was really exciting to like work with fellow students and like we try out some of the things we learn and at that point i was already playing in nightclubs I, I was playing in rock bands and you know we had the big dreams of making it big getting a record deal and it's fine but my faith was always there you know like i think the first thing that it did was it gave me purpose i mean i'm not saying i didn't have my moments of for lack of better word, silliness or stupidity is probably better. Uh, not to say that there weren't things in life I was perhaps curious about and at least talked with people about or some cases tried, whatever. But um, it kept me out of a lot of trouble. And a lot of it, first thing was I, I want to be around people that want to get things done. So I prefer to work with musicians in that setting because you're going to deal with people on a regular basis. And then, um, you know, just... When I'd be out in public, I mean, I was certainly out in the Los Angeles music scene and some of it can get a little crazy. I pretty much stayed away from all that. I, I just didn't feel comfortable with it. Maybe there was something and there's a presence in, in this scene, if you will, that sort of I never was comfortable with it. So I ended up just kind of staying away from that. Like it was very common for me to play the show and, you know, perhaps talk to some people and and, and um, do my thing. But um I pretty much just stayed, stayed out of it. And, and I know my faith upbringing was what helped. Well, I transferred to Cal State Long Beach and I did study music for one more year, but by that point it was starting to really, my, my heart wasn't in the same place. And that can be a whole other podcast on a whole different conversation. But long story short, my senior year of college, I ended up changing my major to religious studies. So I'm a two-time graduate from Cal State Long Beach. My uh, bachelor's degree is in religious studies. The general, you know, take a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that, a little bit of this. And then my master's degree, I, I went on to, to start and finish it six years later, uh, is in religious studies with the concentration in New Testament and ancient Christianity. So after I finished gra uh, college my, with my undergrad degree, I actually started teaching theology at the high school level and have ever since. I've worked at a, a number of schools. I worked at um, a few schools in the Los Angeles area in the, for the Archdiocese. And I moved to the Tucson area in 2006. And I have worked at a couple of Catholic high schools there. And at one of those high schools, I was actually exposed to theology of the body. First, a colleague of mine had gone to the Institute and she had obtained a number of copies of Christopher West's Beginner's book. And I, I read it and I, I heard a little bit about it. I, I didn't really know a lot about it, but the book really floored me. I mean, it blew me away. I thanked her for the book. And the next thing I know, probably a couple months later, I was asked, do you, would you actually want to go to the Institute and, and study? And I was like, really? And it was such a blessing because my school paid for me to go. And I, I went out of curiosity and the first class just shook me to the core in a good way. And Within time, I made the decision to get certified. So I ended up going to the Philadelphia area eight times in a, oh goodness, it would have been a, uh, I want to say about an eight year span. There were some years, you know, we didn't have the funds, so I, I had to wait. 
some years I went twice. It was kind of cool, but it was always great. I got to meet some amazing people that I'm still in touch with to this day. And it really challenged me as a, as a, as a man, as, as a Catholic man, as a husband, as a, as a father, and um, really wanting to commit to my faith and really understanding why I wanted to be Catholic. And it was a beautiful experience in that a lot of the, the inner feelings I had about myself as, as a child of God were confirmed in a lot of, um, God bless him, Pope John Paul II's teachings. Um, the Institute is, is filled with some amazing people, and, and I, I've been blessed by them since I met them. My job has been good. I mean, there's been challenges as a theology teacher in the last several years have been challenging because of the way our culture is moving. But the one thing that I've learned is it really has forced me to stay current with what's going on in the world and to really listen to these young people. Because a lot of times we get overwhelmed by what they're doing or what they're asking us. But what we have to understand is they're hungry. Like they really want to, they want, they have questions. And, you know, some of them certainly absorb the culture. But a lot of their questions are challenging the culture. You know, we have to remember these are young people that are very smart and they have good hearts. They're, they're wonderful people and they can see through a lot of the smoke and mirrors that put in front of them. And many of them are frustrated with some of their religious instruction they've had and they want answers. So I have found just by listening to them, they will respect you. They will listen to you. You know, you have to, you have to take that time to earn their trust. And it's interesting because young people are amazing. Like once you earn their trust, they are, their devotion to you is really, it's, it's unquestioned. I mean, and I've learned a lot from them too. They've asked some very challenging questions. They forced me to keep studying, to keep learning different methods of delivering the teachings. And I am grateful to all of the hundreds of students I've had over the years. Now we're going to go to a commercial break. Okay, now I want to talk a little bit about my book called I Am His Mother, as well as my ministry that I co-founded with my dear friend and now my comadre, um, Angelica Deliana, who it's called Humana Corpus Dignitate, HCD Talks for short. So the book, I Am His Mother. Um, being an artist, you know, mostly a musician, but one of the little secrets of my life since I was a child is I would love to sit in my room and write. A lot of that stuff never saw the light of day. I probably threw it in the trash. I was probably really embarrassed to even share with anybody. 
but it was something I, I, I did. And I had written another story, actually, that's a two-part series that was published by, at the time, a, an independent publisher out of Missouri. She really liked my story, my writing style. God bless her. Um, she was not a religious person, but the previous book, the first book I had published was actually sort of a supernatural thriller, like an emotional roller coaster ride. It's it's complicated. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about that another time. But um, I was, what happened was I was playing with this idea in my head about um, what if Mary had written a memoir? You know, imagine the mother of Jesus writing down what her experience was raising him. And I think the idea came from a couple of movies. I love film. I have no ambitions to act or ever to be in a, to make film, but I, I love film. And um, there was a book called, I'm sorry, excuse me, a movie called Mary, Mother of Jesus that was made by NBC about, oh, 22 years ago, maybe. And then there was another movie just called Jesus that was made back in 99 starring uh, Jeremy Sisto, who is is a great actor, and seen him in a couple things since then. And I just love the human story in both. One of them was just kind of like Jesus being a little more, I would say, a friend to his followers. I mean, this is a movie where he actually starts water fights at times and plays with kids. Really nice to see. And uh, in The Mary Mother of Jesus, it, it was, you know, showing the story of the two of them together. And, you know, being Hispanic and, you know, obviously we have our traditions, our Lady Guadalupe, you know, a lot of us are very close to our moms and just, we're mama's boys, you know, we, uh, it's, a, it's always, I was raised with that love and devotion of our Blessed Mother. So it just kind of came out that um, I started writing and it, it, it just, it just flowed out of me. I, I don't know how to explain it. Um, my mother suspects it could have been divinely inspired, which if it is, that's wonderful. And I'm humbled by that because, wow. But I had a little help. I, I would listen to a lot of Marian songs while while I wrote it and um, kind of just took in the emotion. And, you know, one of the challenges is even though I am a father, I have two children of my own, um, I'm not a mother, which means I don't know what it's like to carry the child, to deliver the child, and to have that connection that mothers have with their children. So the best thing I can say is I, I allowed myself to become, you know, somewhat emotionally vulnerable. Like I, I kind of let that out and just allowed myself to, you know, see, I guess you could say the deepest part of my own love for my own children, which I'm not afraid to share because, you know, I had that example from my own mother who loved me and my sister unashamedly. Like it was, didn't matter who was around my kids are my heart and I love them and I'm, I'm not going to hide that. So I learned that from my mom. So I, you know, I imagine the love our blessed mother would have had for Jesus. So I, I kind of put that out there. So I would take a number of the gospel parts that she was featured in and kind of expand on that. So the book has those particular chapters or little quotes or something that are cited. But as far as the organization goes, I, I you know, I decided to get a little creative. So John the Apostle actually bookends the story. So the first part of the story is uh, he's struggling because the community is suffering and he just had his revelation from, you know, that, that's in the book of Revelations. And he's talking about that, you know, there's, he was caring for our Blessed Mother and that he found something that he didn't know she had. I guess she had, what I had was that Matthew and Luke were bringing her 
early drafts of their gospel and on the infancy narratives, and she was looking at them. So she looked at them alone, and she didn't, no one knew, quote unquote, this is, by the way, fiction, I'm not trying to say I have lost gospel here, that she was writing a memoir of her memories of, of her life with Jesus. So the first part of the book is like the Annunciation, having to talk to Joseph about this. That was rough. You know, taking on the task of being Jesus' mother all the way to the finding in the temple. Now, the middle I'll talk about after the second, the last part of the book is the second half of the book is Holy Week. So it is a little tough to write, you know, everything from arriving in Jerusalem to his passion narrative to, you know, her having to be there when he died and the resurrection. And then the last part, the, the last book end is John and he's witnessing the assumption and seeing her crowned in heaven. And he kind of talks about, he sees people that he doesn't recognize. He's hearing languages he doesn't know. And he starts blurting out words. He doesn't understand what they mean, but it's everything from Fatima uh, Lord's, you know, the apparition. So he's like, well, I know her work's not done. What I did to break up the story is in the middle, I decided to put three significant people that encountered Christ who had their lives changed by him, who, because he's been now ascending into heaven, he, they, they seek out Mary to talk to her about how their life has changed since they encountered Jesus. So we have the rich man who struggled because Christ said to be perfect, you'd have to give everything away. You have the man born blind because of the fact that his own family rejected him. And you have the woman caught in adultery. You know, how Christ, the way he treated her, the way he looked at her, the way he loved her, the way he raised her spirits, her dignity. And, you know, because he's gone, as far as in the flesh he's gone, they seek her out because that would be the closest to talking to someone to let them know this is how my life changed because of Jesus Christ. So the last part of this talk, we're going to talk about the ministry I co-founded with my dear friend, Angelica Deliana. HCD Talks, you can go to our website, hcdtalks.com. That is also our handle on Facebook and Instagram. Long story short, you know, I am the theologian guy. You know, I, I have the theology of the body background. She is a catechist at her parish. Her home parish is St. Philomena in Carson, which is where I'm from, you know, so it's kind of a very special parish to me. But she's also a nurse practitioner. So when we were, you know, we've been friends for a long time. So when we were talking about just our faith journey one day, I was telling her about Theology of the Body, and I kind of gave her some ideas about it, and she got really interested in it. So she ended up buying the same book that hooked me, and she loved it. And, you know, being a medical professional, knowing a lot about the human body, she was very intrigued by a lot of what it's taught. Now, being a teacher myself and, and seeing how the best way to reach the kids, I was very intrigued by the idea of using science and history or whatever other disciplines I could to um, reach the kids. So, for example, if I had, if we talked about chastity, and the importance of, of living a chaste life or, you know, understanding why, for example, it's so painful to, to end a relationship with someone you've been sexually active with. The biology of that really tells a story. And this is, you know, obviously given to us by science. So there's nothing to argue. It's, it's fact. 
So, you know, it's not so much you know, the way I deliver it with my students was to here's the facts. This is why it happens. Please, you know, feel free to look it up yourself and and understand why this happens to you. And so we saw a lot of a common language and it made, you know, obviously I was confident in the sources I had that would teach me a lot about human physiology, but it certainly has more credibility if it's delivered by a nurse practitioner. In the same way, say, a theological teaching has more credibility if it's delivered by a theologian. So that's, you know, us swapping. So that's why we do a lot of presentations together. Now, because of the work that we do, you know, we like to let people know, because a lot of parents and a lot of even religious educators are not comfortable with topics such as sexual ethics, chastity, you know, talking about sin, talking about, you know, mental health, you know, the, the whole person, if you will homosexuality, the whole transgender phenomenon, all those things that are you know, abortion, divorce, you know, euthanasia, uh, infanticide, all these big issues that a lot of, it's overwhelming. For some people, they might know a lot about it, but they, you know, there, there's, it's hard. I mean, I've taught classes where, you know, in my classroom with the students that I love dearly, you know, you bring up a topic like homosexuality and abortion because of the political climate and the way that some of these kids are taught to oppose the church's teachings, you know, the, the, the accusations, the whatever it is, you know, you endure that. So I, I've had the daggers in the eyes or, you know, the students walking out of class very angry. But, you know, even if I did my best to deliver it in a very open-minded, loving way. But for some people, you know, that's that's hard for them. I mean, I'm not saying it's not it's easy. It's not easy, but it it's never been something that bothered me. So I'm I'm willing to do it. So we've been available the last two and a half years, and we've done uh, talks at parishes, talks at schools. We've done talks virtually. We've led talks at conferences. We've, we've led discussions on people's podcasts. We host our own podcasts wherever we're needed. We have a lot of stuff coming up on uh, the next early 2022. February is going to be stacked with a lot of stuff from a retreat to uh you know, leading a big talk at a high school to um, NFP talks, whatever. Um, we're we're available for all that, and we're comfortable doing that. We, we're you know we're both certified with what we do. We're both professionals at what we do, and we can give sound teaching both theologically and medically. My partner is currently halfway through her Creighton model training, so you know she's uh, she's working with the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, you know, teaching NFP to couples delivering teachings to schools and parishes they're bringing her i, I now live in the tucson area so our, our ministry is a southwestern ministry that goes back and forth but i mean she's that we have schools that want to bring her out here she's already done teachings out here as much as i've gone back home to where i'm originally from to also do teachings we've worked together and or me doing something alone um if you go to our website hgdtalks.com we have several videos of samples of us teaching, samples of us leading discussions, samples of us um, interviewing other people in the world of ministry to get let them tell their story. We are blessed to have, you know, Anne, and of course there's Bill and there's Kent, and you guys are in the in the trenches with us. And we we have some other great resources, people who have left the abortion industry to uh, psychologists, to other theologians, to, you know, we're blessed to have two spiritual advisors. Uh, Father Martin Martinez, who's my uh, 
pastor of my home parish at San Martin de Porres in Saurita, Arizona, as well as Father Jeff Smilek, who's a former coworker of mine, who's now the campus minister at Joliet Academy in Joliet, Illinois. And I'm also very, very proud to say that we have received the blessing publicly from Bishop Mark Trudeau out of the San Pedro region of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, as well as my home bishop, Edward Weisenberger in Tucson. So they've recognized our work and we're blessed to have their, their, um, their nod, I can't think of a word to say it, I'm sorry, uh, to you know publicly endorse what we do. And we seek to earn their respect and trust and to honor their belief in our ministry by giving sound teaching. You know, we focus not only on the science that Angelica can share from the medical standpoint, we are faithful to the church's teachings because all of our resources are based on scripture, based on the catechism of the Catholic church, papal encyclicals to any other official documents of the church. We cite our sources. We encourage people to look at whatever sources we use and the basis of what we teach is what the church teaches and not so much our personal philosophy we are certainly looking for ways to deliver those teachings but with the intention of it being what the church teaches not what we want to not some type of narrative that we want to sell that's where we do acknowledge that we are servants of the church so you know with that being said please you know feel free to um Check out our website, htdtalks.com. You can reach out to us at htdtalks at gmail.com. If you're interested, obviously, you can reach out to us there as well to, to just sort of for a talk, whether it's virtual or in person. If you have any questions on anything you've seen on our website, from our blogs to our podcasts, feel free to ask. And, you know, we are a certified nonprofit, so any donations that you could make to help further our cause would be greatly appreciated. And we are certainly looking to take the gospel message out to the world because we see such a need for people to really understand the the dignity that they've all been afforded by God. That we're all we're all children of God. We're all worthy of being loved. And there's nothing that we have to do to earn that love. We as human beings are worthy of that love because God said so. So thank you all. Thank you, Anne, for having me. I appreciate that, giving my chance to share my faith story as well as a little bit about my book, I Am His Mother, and our ministry, htdtalks.com. And uh, I'll hope to see you all soon. Thank you. God bless. Thank you so much, Carlos, for that beautiful presentation to us here on Journeys in Faith. I hope that you will come back again. And to all of you watching, I wish you again a beautiful holiday season and enjoy Christmas with your family. See you next week on Journeys in Faith. Journeys of Faith is a production of Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry. For more information about Journeys of Faith, email info at fiatministrynetwork.tv. And be sure to friend, follow, and like us on social media. Just search Journeys in Faith with Ann DeSantis.